We are continuing on in our Who is God series, and in this month of January, we're focusing on the concept of the Holy Spirit and the idea that he is power. Uh, More specifically, last week, we learned that the Holy Spirit is real, he is God, he is power, and he is for us. This morning, we're going to focus on the Holy Spirit's power to move, to do a work in us, in us. And generally, when I start going in the direction of the Holy Spirit doing a work in us or internal work or, or soul work, um, people have one of two reactions. One is um, you kind of drifting into like pop psychology, mumbo jumbo, Jesus should stay in his lane kind of stuff. Or the other is, well, that sounds hard. I'm not sure if I want to do that. As a matter of fact, I had one, this is, this is a true story and this is a quote. Somebody once told me, that's too hard, I'm not going to do it. Folks, and you, you can choose to do that, but here's the thing, right? If we don't voluntarily take this inward journey, if we don't do the internal work, um, that stuff that's inside, the good, the bad, and the ugly, is going to find a way out, right? It will leak out. Rather than deal with it in a constructive, productive manner, it will it will leak out. So here is, um, here's our premise for this morning. The power of the Holy Spirit at work in us allows us to push through our biggest fears and regrets and chase after the desires of our hearts. But we got to be willing to do the work. We got to follow the Holy Spirit in his leading. So um, every, every person who claims the name of Jesus, who says they're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and resides within them. The Holy Spirit in, indwells them. We talked about that last week. When that happens, um, well, here, I'm just going to read from the book of Ephesians. It gives a little more detail about when the Holy Spirit takes up residence, what that, what that means. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, and I think it's all on just one slide here. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. I want to focus on two kind of different, different things. The first one is we were marked in him with a seal. The idea of a seal in, antiqu- in antiquity, first easy for me to say, in the first century, um, carried a couple of different meanings that is relevant and important when we think about the concept of the Holy Spirit, the God that resides within us. And the first one is a seal would be placed on something to show ownership. A seal would be placed on something to show protection. If I went somewhere with the, carrying the king's seal, I was under his protection. If anybody messed with me, they would have to deal with the king. Um, it shows a, a designation of, of office. And in terms of the Holy Spirit, what that means is that we are, the, one of the offices that we hold, one of the positions that we hold, is co-heirs with Christ. We are sons and daughters of the God of the universe. That's what that seal means. It also means, one of the positions that we hold is we are ambassadors for Christ. That when we go out into the world, we represent Christ. The seal is a very important thing. The Holy Spirit comes inside of us and marks us as God's own. And all the privilege and perks there too. They're two, four, they're unto, I don't know. The second thing I want to point out, 
who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, right? So our inheritance, we are man, female, um, we are considered as firstborn sons. In the ancient world, firstborn sons got the lion's share of the inheritance. So that, and we are co-heirs with Christ, right? So we are his brothers and sisters. We have a deposit. What that deposit is, is it's kind of like it's a down payment, right? It's not the same thing as the final, what we're going to get when all is said and done, but it's a deposit that is like a small piece of what's to come with the promise, with the promise that there is a final payment. So the Holy Spirit is awesome and he lives inside us and resides in us, but what comes at the end of that is even better and greater. So the Holy Spirit, being sealed with the Holy Spirit, it tells us who we are, whose we are, and that we are not alone and that there is even more to come. The idea of being sealed and having that deposit guaranteeing. So when we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, that's everybody who calls themselves a, a believer. What happens from there is it, um, it's not necessarily everybody because we have to participate in it. The Holy Spirit opens up this door and we can be filled with his presence. We can be controlled by his leading, by his guiding. But it's an ability that he gives us we have to cooperate with him. We have to yield to his direction. We have to follow him. Um, the scriptural word is filled. And we talked a little bit about this last week, just in this one, this one quick verse. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I want to dig a little bit further into this verse than I did last week. So this is not just like a, a prudish, teetotaling take on alcohol. You need to understand, this was written to the church at Ephesus. In the area of Ephesus, there were these temples all over the place. And there were temples to these the uh, Roman gods and goddesses. And as part of their worship services, there was a significant amount of drinking involved because the, the people felt like that opened up a door to the divine and they could connect with the divine. I want to read you this description. As a matter of fact, they thought drunkenness was a means of communing with their spirits and gods. And worshiping their gods in the pagan temples of that day, they would start with a wild, frenzied dance and work themselves into an emotional peak. Then they would begin to drink wine. The drunker they got, the more they would act in all kinds of wild ways. They thought that when they got into this state of mind, totally influenced by the wine, totally intoxicated by the wine, far beyond clear thinking, that somehow they were moved into a realm where they could communicate with their gods. The bottom line is, as believers, we don't ascend to God by some intoxicating beverage. God has descended to us. He has sent his spirit to live in us. God is in us. We don't need anything from the outside to control us. We have everything on the inside to control us. The believer is to be controlled and influenced from the inside out. That's why this internal work, this inward journey is so important. That's where the Holy Spirit resides. And if we allow him to, if we follow his leading, we will over time, grow into the image of God in which he created us. We were created as his, as his image bearers. And um, one of the ways that the Bible describes that is that we will have the fruit of the Spirit. The more we yield control of our lives over to the Spirit, it's kind of like a poetic way of saying that our lives look more like Jesus. 
as the fruit of the Spirit develops in us, we look more like Jesus. Jesus said it like this. This is in uh, Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 16 through 20. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So the book of Galatians goes on to kind of round out the picture of what that fruit looks like. This is Galatians 5, uh, 22 to 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, sometimes uh, written patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So this fruit of the Spirit, right? It's not an apple or a banana or a pomegranate. Um, I once taught this passage as the fruit of the Spirit is like an orange, right? There's many different segments, but it's one, one fruit with, with many different pieces. Um, but what I would suggest to you is that the fruit of the Spirit, if you wanted to put a physical image to it, looks more like the cross. As we look at the cross of Jesus, we see every aspect of the fruit of the Spirit displayed. And I'm going to go through them for you. I'm going to go through them pretty quick. Um, there's nine of them. And it's not a bad list to memorize. First one is love. In the cross, we see the undeserved, unconditional, unshakable love of Jesus poured out as a sacrifice. He took our place on that cross. No love has been seen like that before or ever will, what Jesus did on the cross. Joy. In the book of Hebrews... The Bible tells us we fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then he sat down at the right hand of the Father. The joy in the cross. What was his joy? His joy was not in the cross. His joy was in doing the will of his Father. Right? Who gets to sit at the right hand of the king? Only those with whom he is well pleased and who have completed their mission. Jesus completed his mission with joy because it was his Father's will. Peace. Humanity exists in a broken relationship with God. We've chosen to do our own thing. And through the cross, Jesus brings peace to that relationship. He opens the door back up to that relationship that we slam shut by the things that we think and do and say. Um, I think this one in the verse I read said forbearance, but patience, right? Love, joy, peace, patience. The God, the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is patient. He's not slow in keeping his promises, as some think slow, but he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to come to repentance, and so he waits he waits as the Holy Spirit does his work around us and he comes to believers and he does his work in us. And as he does his work in us, we're going to talk about next week, that flows out of us and does his work through us. 
That's how God is patient. He waits because he wants as many people as possible to come to know him before he wraps up his plan and he brings us all home. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. The kindness of Jesus demonstrated on the cross, he, does, he bears the weight of our sins for us. He does not hold our sins against us. He does not hold our sins against us. That's the kindness that he displays. Goodness. Nowhere is the goodness of God more evident than in the, the lavish, generous outpouring on the cross. God did not spare his only son, he, and he gives us everything else. He gives us our salvation, and then he gives us every blessing that we could ever need. That's how tremendous, that's how all-encompassing the goodness of God is. The faithfulness, even in the face of the, the sinful rebellion of all of humanity, Jesus is faithful to his mission to the very end, as he's being nailed to a cross, he's asking his father to forgive those who are putting them on that cross because they don't know what he's doing. He's faithful to complete his mission. Gentleness. Do not, do not, do not mistake the gentleness of Jesus for weakness. In his gentleness, he took the form of a servant and became obedient to death. And then he beat it. Weakness doesn't beat death. Power expressed in humility and gentleness is what beat death on the cross. And self-control. Again, Scripture tells us that Jesus says, nobody, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own initiative. That means every second... Every second that he was on the cross was an act of will. It was an act of self-control for him to sit on that cross and endure the pain. Every second that he was separated from his father was an act of will and an act of self-control. Not to get down off that cross and call down a legion of angels and just clean house. The fruit of the Spirit is best represented in the cross. And as we turn over our lives to Jesus and we let him take control, our lives will look more like his. And we will bear that fruit of the Spirit. Uh, scripture puts it this way. This is Galatians 5.16. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the, desires of the, flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. That phrase, so that you are not to do whatever you want. We have these natural inclinations that lead us in one direction. And unfortunately, our natural inclinations lead us away from God. And it's only when we walk with the Spirit, when we follow Him, that we start to resemble Jesus, but it's only when we get to the point where we can make decisions against ourselves, decisions that might be unpopular or uncomfortable or they're just not what you would typically do. Um, 
the, the Bible breaks it up into two different ways, and um, amazingly enough, it kind of falls under the love God, love others. This is from the book of 1 Thessalonians. It says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. The idea of quenching is the idea of putting out a fire. Not extinguishing it entirely, but like dampening it and, and controlling it and, and containing it. The quenching the spirit, the verses that surround that, what do they say? Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Quenching the spirit is about how we respond to God. Are we grateful? Do we take time out of our day to communicate with God? Do we praise him? Do we, do we celebrate the things that he does, that who he is? How do we, it says don't treat prophecies with contempt, right? A way to understand that is how do we treat the word of God? Do, when we, when we hear the word of God taught, do we take it blindly? Do we go home and, and do our homework and we check it out for ourselves? Do we just disregard it? We come here and we spend an hour and like, oh, that was, that was nice. I didn't fall asleep for the entire thing. Tom told the joke at one point that kept me awake. How we respond to God is whether or not we quench the Spirit. We can extinguish the flame of the Holy Spirit or fan it into an inferno by the way we treat God, by the way we respond to God. The other half of that we find in um, Ephesians chapter 4. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This um, grieving the Holy Spirit is about how we treat other people, how we respond to other people. Quenching the Spirit revolves around how we respond to God. Grieving the Spirit is about how we respond to other people. The verses that, um, that surround that are, think about it, right? Our words, specifically how we treat people with our words and how we treat people with our actions. Do you, when, when somebody's not around, are you talking trash about them behind their back or are you honoring them and building them up? Do you, we have this incredible gift in the word of God. Do you handle the word of God with, with both grace and truth and build other people up? Or do you treat it like a hammer and tear people down? How do you use your words when people see you coming, what, how do they, what are they thinking? What about, what about our actions? Do you sacrificially give of your time, talent, and treasure for the sake of God's kingdom? Are you a peacemaker or do you stir the pot? Do the things that you do day in and day out, right, at the office, at school, at practice, in traffic, 
do they help move people closer to God or do they move people further away? How we respond to other people is whether or not we grieve the Holy Spirit. We can bring the Holy Spirit joy or sorrow by the way we treat others. Going really fast, this is a lot of stuff. Big buckets, right? Sealed with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is in us. Filled with the Holy Spirit. That's our part. That's how much we let the Holy Spirit control us or not. As we let the Holy Spirit control us more and more, the fruit of the Spirit is developed within us. And we, our lives begin to look more like Jesus. The way we treat God and the way we treat other people is what shapes that. So we started last week um, with this activity. And I put this slide back up there with the highlights so that you are not to do whatever you want. Right? This, is a, this is a hard thing. I gave you guys a paper plate last week. And I asked you to um, list everything that you're responsible for, everything that you have to do in a given week, all your tasks at home, at work, at school, anything and everything that could take up your time. And then I asked you to think about going through that, everything that you wrote on your plate and trying to start removing some things. And that's how we empty ourselves, right? Not only, we can fill ourselves with wine, but we could also fill ourselves with just stuff so that there's no room for the Holy Spirit, with busyness, with, you know, if we, if we think we know it all, so we don't have to hear from the Holy Spirit. And I asked you to, to participate in that activity. We still have some paper plates left. If you weren't here last week, grab a paper plate, do it. This is like step two or, you know, the advanced level. If you're playing a video game, this would be like where we're going now is like playing it on Legendary. I, I am, I'm going to ask you to look inside and to make some decisions against yourself, right? What, what are those things inside of you that um, feelings or um, preconceived notions or a, or a mindset, um, maybe it's a, like a past trauma, something that you've had to deal with, something that you suffered through, something that even though it's a bad thing is what identifies you. Some of them, they're good things and they're good, they're things that we aspire to, but they might not be what God has for us, but we cling on to them, right? And we hold on to them for any variety of reasons. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to do some of that internal work, to ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. And I'm gonna read you, um, I'm gonna read you a quote from a gentleman to kind of give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Um, that again, when we make decisions against ourselves, when we're going on this inward journey, when we're thinking about creating space for the Holy Spirit in us, there is nothing that is out of bounds. Right? We want God to be first. We want him to be at the center. We don't want anything to come between us and God. Um, this is a quote from a guy by the name of Sam Albury. Sam is an ordained minister in the Church of England, and he has served as a pastor at multiple churches and is now a speaker with Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. 
What makes this quote incredibly impactful is that Sam describes himself as same-sex attracted, yet faithful to Jesus' traditional teaching on marriage. Sam is single and celibate. This is his quote from um, his book, Is God Anti-Gay? It is the same for us all, whoever we are. I am to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow him. Every Christian is called to costly sacrifice. Denying yourself does not mean tweaking your behavior here and there. It is saying no to your deepest sense of who you are for the sake of Christ. To take up a cross is to declare your life as you've known it forfeit. It is laying down your life for the very reason that your life, as it turns out, is not yours at all. It belongs to Jesus. He made it, and through his death, he has bought it. Ever since I've been open about my own experiences with homosexuality, a number of Christians have said something like this. The gospel must be harder for you than it is for me, as though I have more to give up than they do. But the fact is that the gospel demands everything out of all of us. If someone thinks the gospel has somehow slotted into their life quite easily without causing any major adjustments to their lifestyle or aspirations, it is likely that they have not really started following Jesus at all. The paradoxical thing about one of the many about our relationship with Jesus is when we, when we willingly give up whatever it is we place our identity in and we look to Jesus for that identity, that's when we discover our true self. He's the one who made us. We were created in his image. We were created with a plan and with a purpose. And the more that he takes root in us, the more real us, me, you, emerges. That, that statement, I mean, it could be, be taken really harsh, right? Deny yourself. It's what Jesus said. This is what this guy Sam is saying to us. So I want to I wanna close with this illustration to kind of um, give you maybe some handles to help apply this. A very long time ago, um, Brian Kuchmas, who's up here playing bass this morning, um, started training me how to plug all this stuff in and put it together and make sure that we had sound in the morning. And he has a, like a problem-solving mantra. If something's not working, is it plugged in? Is it turned on? Right? That's where you start. And wouldn't you know it, sure enough, this morning, part of our sound system back here was not plugged in. We just had to go up there and make sure it was plugged in. Over the course of time, things have become more um, digital and computerized. So I've added my own layer to that is, have you tried turning it off and back on again? <laughs> so, and I've gone out of my way and I want to go out of my way, but for the sake of the illustration, I'm going to use the, is it a pronoun? It? Instead of he, right? The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is a person. As we think about the Holy Spirit, we think about the first level of problem solving. Is it plugged in? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Have you come to the foot of the cross and have you asked Jesus into your life? Have you told Jesus that you want him to be your priority, that you want him to be the center of everything that you think and say and do? And I asked for his forgiveness. That's how we make sure it's plugged in. <clears throat> is it turned on? Right? Those two things, quenching the spirit, grieving the spirit. 
That's like having the power button off. What is it, um, is there anything in your life that is causing there to be a disruption in that flow of power, right? You're, you're a believer in Jesus. You are sealed with the Spirit. But your life doesn't look all that much like Jesus. Or you're feeling like it's not growing like, like it should. Maybe there's something going on there that you need to deal with, that you need to do some, some business with God. And I was, um, as I was praying and, and thinking this week and realizing that uh, some of this stuff might hit really close to home for some of us. Some of it might cause you to not be very pleased with me right now. Um, some of it, please hear my heart. I don't want anything from you. I want, I want Jesus for you. I want you to know what it's like to be led and filled with the Holy Spirit. And as you grow in the Holy Spirit, to become the person that you were created to be. The person that God dreamt of before time began. There were two things that God kind of put on, on my heart that, um, that maybe a handful of us are, are wrestling with. And the first one is, um, is our identity. What, what is it that you put your identity in? How do, you, how, how do you describe yourself? How do you think of yourself? Maybe it's something that you, you don't have yet. And because you don't have it, you think you're not all that you could be. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe, um, maybe it is your sexual identity. Maybe you struggle with that. Anything that we put in that place of Jesus can thwart the work of the Holy Spirit in, in our lives and can keep the fruit of the Spirit from, from growing. The other, the other one that, um, that God was really just, I felt like impressing on me is the idea of, of forgiveness. Maybe there's somebody in y'all's life that you need to forgive. Could be recently, could be from the past. I don't know, somebody hurt you, said something, did something. And I would include in that the ability to forgive yourself. Maybe there's something along the way that you really regret and that you wish just never happened and that you were responsible for. Jesus died on the cross to forgive you of even that, whatever it is. Right? That can block the work of the Holy Spirit in us because we can let that define us rather than defining ourselves as sons and daughters of God Most High. So heavy, heavy stuff. The internal work is not easy. But it is the God of the universe who resides in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And he can and will do a work in you so that your life displays the fruit of the Spirit, so that your life looks more like Jesus if you would allow him to. So uh, we created a little bit of space this morning. Um, we're just going to run a lyric video. There's not, it's just the lyrics to a song. We're going to play a song through the sound system and just take this time and 
if you want to close your eyes, close your eyes. Just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And ask him, am I doing anything that is grieving you? You think about the Holy Spirit as a person. Like, am I making you sad? Am I doing something that's offending you? Am I doing something to other people that is is causing a, a gap between you and I that's keeping you from doing your work in me, Spirit? I got all sidetracked. The... um. The reboot part, right? The have you tried turning it off and on again? Some of us in here have been walking with Jesus for a long time, but we've never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We've never known the healing of the hurt inside. We've never like seen transformation in our lives. God working out the old behaviors and, and letting them go behind, right here, right now, control, alt, delete, right? Let's just turn it off again and turn it back on and ask the Holy Spirit, put yourself in a position, say, Holy Spirit, whatever it is, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to say, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to give up, whatever you want me to keep doing, I'm in. And as we go forward from this time this morning, that there would just be this renewed awareness of who the Spirit is and how that work in you will do an amazing work through you as we move forward.